Today is Palm Sunday, which is the beginning of Holy Week, and that is a huge time in the life of every believer, but also for the community around the believer, because they need to see what we're celebrating, what we're walking through, what we're experiencing as we experience Holy Week. So there are several things that are going to be going on this week that we want to make sure that you are aware of. After the service today, uh, we've got a couple of meetings that are going on around the campus, but we also are going to begin uh, doing some uh, renovate. We're going to start the renovation process a little bit again uh, as we uh, do some uh, bathroom renovations as well as we uh, put the flooring in in the hallways behind us. So just so you know, as you as you come to the campus anytime this week, uh, we cannot enter through the back. You're going to have to enter through uh, the front, the front office, the front of the sanctuary and you're going to be kind of limited into where you can go. So there will be different groups that are using the campus throughout the week, our, our homeschooling families, uh, different people that are having Bible studies and meetings. Just make sure you know that you enter through that section as these doors will be locked, uh, as they usually are, but then uh, we're not going to be letting anybody in as the ladies and the men are working on the bathroom and working on the floor and going on. That'll happen through. They'll hopefully be ready, be praying that everything goes smoothly. Uh, and then Good Friday, we will gather here at 7 o'clock. We will gather here for a Good Friday service. Uh, we'll be worshiping together. Uh, Josh will be bringing a message from God's Word. We'll be participating uh, in the Lord's Supper as a faith family together. That'll be Friday night at 7 o'clock. And then we will gather together Sunday morning twice. It'll be the same service both times. One's going to be at 9 a.m. The other's going to be at 10.30 a.m. Part of that is because we want to make room for the folks in our community who might be joining us. Also, we want to give you an opportunity to serve during one of the services and then worship in the other. We are going to have a number of needs with our children, with our children's activities, with nursery and, and preschoolers, uh, and then an activity that the kids will be doing during the service. Uh, that'll be happening both times. We're going to need people to help with greeting, to people help with parking. And if you could serve in one and then worship in the other or worship in the first one and serve in the second one, we would really appreciate that kind of help. As we continue to pray about what God is doing here, that, that's probably a direction that we're going anyway. The idea of two services and serving in one and worshiping in the other, being a part of a small group. We won't have small groups next Sunday morning. We'll just be focusing on our worship hour. Bring somebody with you. Invite somebody to join you for, for Easter celebration. But we are having two services. They'll be just alike, 9 o'clock, 1030. Maybe you can serve during one. Let us know if you can and worship in the other one uh, as you go from there. So just want to make sure you knew what was going on. In just a minute, we're going to welcome one another. But before we do, I want to welcome some specific people to our faith family. Are the Ritters here this morning? Are you guys here? Are they in the back? Are the Arnolds here? We might be doing some traveling. We are starting a new small group this week. Uh, if you have questions, you can talk to Karen, but it's going to be in the North Palm Bay, South Melbourne area. Uh, and it's Dan and Michelle Ritter and Jeff and Lisa Arnold are going to be leading that one uh, together. So they're, they're new in our faith family. Also want to welcome Caleb and Mary Helen Bostwick to our faith family. Y'all wave so everybody can kind of see you. Welcome them. <laughs> want to be sure and welcome Josh and uh, Mary Beth Boudreaux and their family to our faith family. You guys wave so everybody can see you. Uh, Milton Stafford. Where's Milton? Milton, yeah. <laughs> Milton and Andrea got married how long ago? A while? It's been a year. And we, and we like looked at each other about a month ago and went, Milton, are you going to join or what? You know, <laughs> and it was really funny because Milton just looked at us and I don't know. <laughs> okay, great. Um, I may have already done this, but one other, another family to welcome. This is Jess and Aunt, where's Amber? Amber, are you in here? Or is she helping out somewhere? In Amber's in the back. Welcome Jess and Amber Steigerwald and their family. And then Mark and Loretta Kish. Where are you guys? You're over here. They are in just a minute when we when we welcome one another, I want you to be sure and welcome these latest members of our faith family. If you don't know what it's like, what it means to be a member of our church, talk to Karen, talk to me. We'd be we'd love to tell you what membership at our church means and all that that involves. And uh, we're just grateful to have all of you guys that God has led you this direction. We are super excited, uh, not just excited. We are super excited that you are here um, and with us. I want to read something real quick because I, I think. I think we just experienced it. Man, 
When he had said these things, this is Luke chapter 19. When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Why don't we stand since I'm reading God's Word? When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethany and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone asks you why you're untying it, say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. And as he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. They were saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would cry out. And I'm here to tell you, First Baptist in the Atlantic, not as long as we're here. There will be no rocks crying out. There will be no stones stealing our joy. Because this will be a house of prayer, and we will be a people of worship. Amen. Not on our watch. So why don't you turn around, find about 71 people you've not seen yet, and let them know that you're here to worship with them. On your mark, get set, go. I'm going to start here and go one, two, three. <laughs> it's good to see you. Hey, lady. How are you? Hey, Miss Edna. Making your way back to your seats, we invite you to continue to worship with us this morning. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope, no place to begin. Love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested, my life began Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains My open heart was given a name Quiet, my feet rose to dance when death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace, so free, washes I'm a prisoner no more Shame was a ransom we faithfully bore 
real honest with you. This is just one of those mornings where I just feel it. And there's part of me that's like, I don't need to walk up there and preach. I'm going to. (laughs) But before we release the kids, before we open up God's word, can we just thank him for being here? Can we just praise him for being in our midst? Can we praise him for honoring us with his presence? Can we just as the body of Christ say thank you? Father, across this room, as many folks as there are, there are that many life circumstances times ten. And yet you are not a God that sits far off, unaffected by what happens here, but you are a God who by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit dwells in us and dwells among us, and you do life with us. You are there when we celebrate. You are there when we suffer. You are there when we joy. You are there when we struggle. Sometimes you are holding our hands. Sometimes you are celebrating and you are, your, your hands are up in the air. And sometimes you are carrying us through whatever life has thrown us. But in and through it all, you enable us to say, Hosanna in the highest, because you and you alone are worthy. And so would you just join me again in just saying thank you. No, out loud where he can hear you. And Father, we give you all praise. We give you all honor. We give you all glory. It all belongs to you. And it is in your name that we pray. And for your sake. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I want to go ahead and release our children. Uh, our third, fourth, and fifth graders are going to head this way uh, with Will and Kelly, and I believe Miss Joy. Uh, Will and Kelly and Miss Joy, third, fourth, and fifth graders. Uh, just as we continue to have guests and as we continue to have uh, those that uh, are new to our faith family, uh, third, fourth, and fifth graders, our kindergarten, first, and second graders can come this way and get a packet. Uh, parents, Always make sure when you get here that you check your kids in, especially those that are are going out. Uh, And also, they don't have to go out. They may want to. You may prefer. They may prefer to stay in here. uh, And that is welcome too. A couple of things we just want to make sure that when we call it, it is third, fourth, and fifth graders going out, not second graders, not sixth graders, not above and beyond. Uh, But that group, when, when kindergartners, first and second graders go out, we want to make sure that that's who goes as well. Uh, When you check them in, you should get a a sticker of some sort. Uh, That is so that we can uh, match you and your child. We are trying to do everything in in our capabilities to make sure that not only do your children have a good experience, but that your children have a safe experience. Uh, We want to instill that confidence in you and that confidence in us. It would probably be good if I preached if I had my notes. And so if you've got a copy of God's Word, if you will turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. If you are a guest with us today... Um, there are Bibles in the chairs around you. Uh, if, or if you're new to Bible study in general, take one of those chairs. I think it's on page 930 in the Bibles around you. As well, if you are a guest with us today, first of all, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for uh, honoring us with your time, uh, with your day. Uh, We're grateful that you're here. If you are a guest in the chairs around you, there is a connect card uh, that will give you a chance, that will give us a chance to get to know you a little bit better. If you don't mind taking a few minutes and filling that out when you're done, you can just drop those in these boxes. These boxes are, are near the doors where our faith family and 
Regular attenders uh, weekly provide their tithes and their offerings as we continue to be faithful and steward the resources that God has given us to do the ministry that God has called us to do. We, we can do things like the flooring and the renovations in the student area. Uh, we do the ministry that God has called us to uh, through uh, the generous and gracious uh, giving of your tithes and offerings, your faithful tithes and offerings. And if you're a guest with us as well, we are continuing our journey through the Gospel of Luke, through the Gospel of Luke, um, when you find it, when you find chapter 18, uh, I want to ask you to hold your place there, uh, and we're going to actually start from somewhere else in Scripture this morning. We are going to come back to Luke chapter 18, but I want to ask you to turn to the book of James. Hold your place in Luke chapter 18. But turn to the book of James. If you're new to Bible study, uh, never hesitate to use that table of contents at the beginning. Never hesitate to use the table of contents at the beginning. But James is going to be towards the end. If you hit Revelation, you've gone a little too far. Uh, it's going to be Hebrews, James, and then First and Second Peter. So I want you to find James chapter 4. James chapter 4, I think it's on page 1073 in the Bibles and the chairs around you. And when you have it, if you are physically able, I would invite you to stand to join us as we stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. James chapter 4, I'm going to start with verse 1. What's the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. We ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the Scripture says the Spirit He made to dwell in us envies intensely? But He gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. You are our rock. You are our Redeemer. Father, may I decrease so that you might increase, and may we conclude our time today more like you than when we started, more like you than when we first walked in, because we have been in your presence, we have heard your voice, and we have been changed by your word. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. I want you to hold your place in James. We are going to get back to Luke 18, but I want to look particularly at this verse as we've been journeying through Luke, you, if you go back and you listen to the messages that, that we've provided in the, in the Bible studies that we've been going through in our small group, uh, whether it be with Josh, uh, with me, with our students, with our Wednesday night, we, we've really kind of begun to center in on a couple of different topics, some very specific topics as we get closer and closer to Jerusalem, as we get closer and closer to the cross. And this is one of those weeks where I wrestled with the message because as I, I continued reading through Luke, I kept feeling drawn to this, this sentence in James, this, this, this draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What, what does that mean? And, and how does that even happen? I'm going to need to move quick through the passage in James so we can get to our time in Luke. But, but I do believe that this applies. So I do want to take a few minutes because the verses before and after give us a little bit of insight. And like I said, this idea of drawing near to God and God drawing near to us, is, it's going to be a large part of what I think we see when we get to Luke chapter 18. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. How? Well, let's start with verse 6. Verse 6 is actually the author quoting Proverbs chapter 3. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. 
What, what is humility? Uh, there are a lot of different definitions that people would give, and so mine is going to, to join the chorus in just a second. But in Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul gives us a, a list of godly characteristics. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on, like as in you would put on clothing, put on compassion, put on kindness, put on humility, put on gentleness, put on patience, bearing with one another, forgiving with one another, and then he continues the list. And the Greek word uh, that's translated humility, though the word that he inserts right there in that, the middle of that list, it means lowliness of mind. It means lowliness of mind. And here's what he's saying. Humility is when we have a healthy perspective of ourselves in light of a holy perspective of God. Humility is when we have a healthy perspective of ourselves in light of a holy perspective of God. Humility is not when we berate ourselves or when we, when we bring ourselves down in front of other people uh, to look like we're humble. Oh, you know, it's, it's not that at all. Uh, humility is, is a healthy perspective. It is when we, we recognize that we have gifts. We recognize that we have skills, but we recognize who gave us those gifts. We recognize who gave us those skills. It's when we, we enjoy the opportunities that we have, when we enjoy the experiences that we have, but we understand that the, that, the, that the one who gave us those experiences, the one who gave us those opportunities is God and God alone. It's when if we achieve successes in life, there is nothing wrong with celebrating that, but we have to honor the one who equipped us, who enabled us with the opportunity, the one who certainly gets the glory for those experiences, for those successes. We realize that in and of ourselves, we, we basically deserve death and hell. But when God's grace, when God's mercy, when God's love and forgiveness comes into our lives, that is when we gain eternal life. That is when we gain salvation. In and of ourselves, we do have certain things, but we give a healthy perspective of who we are, and we have a holy perspective of the creator of the universe. That is what humility is. Humility is, is when we recognize our sin, we understand its consequences, we have that holy perspective of God, and we recognize that Christ and Christ alone is able to save us. Humility is when we understand that we are in need and that our need is provided by the provider, capital P. Humility is when we honor Christ above all, we put others before ourselves, and we recognize our, our utter dependence on God for everything on this side of life, as well as for anything on the other side of life in all eternity. Humility is a healthy perspective of who I am in light of a holy perspective of God. When I think of a verse that might summarize humility, I think of Julie's life verse, Julie's favorite verse, which is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in Jonathan with all my heart. <laughs> it does not say that. It does not say trust in Julie with all her heart. It does not say, Karen, trust in Jonathan with all your heart. It does not say, Karen, trust in Karen. You get the point. It says, trust in the with all your heart. What is your heart? Your heart is everything that you are. Everything that encompasses you, your passions, your desires, your longings, what makes you tick, what, what, what jazzes you up, what gets you going, what moves you forward, anything that, anything that drives you, that is your heart. Anything that fulfills you, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on Jonathan's understanding. Don't, now there's where you can stick your name in. Don't rely on you. Why? Because my understanding is very, very limited. I have met people in this side, on this side of life who have forgotten more than I have learned. There's always somebody smarter than there's always somebody smarter than me in the room, but there's always somebody that knows more. Why? Because our our understanding is always going to be limited. We all have gifts, we all have skills, we all have things that we can do. We all have things that are different than one another. But the truth is when we rely on our own understanding, we will reach a ceiling. Trust in who? the Lord with all your heart, with everything that drives you, with everything that fulfills you. And do not rely. Some passages say, do not lean 
on your own understanding. Why? Because your own understanding will reach its limits. Your own understanding will let you down. In all your ways, know him. Some translations are going to say, in all your ways, acknowledge him. It means in, in all your ways, recognize that he is the one. He is the author and the finisher and the perfecter of our faith. He is the creator of all things. In all your ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. Humility is when we have a healthy perspective of ourselves and we have a holy perspective of God. So how do, how do we draw near to God? How, do, how does God draw near to us? Step one, humility. Number two, submission. Verse 7 says this, submit to God. What does it mean to submit? Uh, the Greek word is hupotasso. Uh, and from a military perspective, it is the idea of actively understanding your rank. Actively understanding your rank. Putting yourself in the proper place as it relates to the authority above you. And, and, and here, here the definition very, very, very intentionally. Uh, the, the Greek word literally means actively understanding your rank, actively putting yourself in, in the proper. In other words, it means you don't just know it, it means you behave like it. Oftentimes when people come to Christ, we say, have you, have, is Christ the Lord and Savior of your life? And we say that very intentionally, even though the, the term Lord is not really a westernized term. We, if we were in Europe and in England, we, we'd understand lords and, and all that kind of, lords and ladies and all that kind of stuff. But the Lord was the, the owner of the land. The Lord ran everything. He was the master of the house. And when we say, and oftentimes what we want as Christians, as Christ followers, what we often want is Christ as our Savior, but the human side doesn't really want Him as Lord. And, and you can't have it either way. It's both and. He is Savior and He is Lord. And if He's Lord, the sentence, no Lord, does not work. If He's Lord, then it's always yes, Lord. Just a little something put in your pocket there. Greek words, hupotasso. It's a military picture of understanding our rank, actively understanding our rank. Uh, just jot down Colossians chapter 1. Read this later. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And you want to understand who, His authority. You want to understand uh, His place in the universe. Read that hymn. Take some time later. But submitting to God, much like humility, is when we acknowledge His authority in and over our lives and we actively live in such a way that our lives demonstrate that we believe that to be true. Our lives actively demonstrate that we believe that to be true. Verse 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, resist the enemy. I know that's easier said than done. But hear what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, No temptation, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation, He will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Some translations say no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. It's the same concept. Now, let me, let me clarify what this verse is talking about. This verse is talking about temptation and sin. This verse is not talking about life circumstances and situations. Has anybody ever told you that the Lord will not give you more than you can handle? Okay, the only thing wrong with that statement is that it's wrong. God gives us stuff we can't handle all the time. God gives us stuff we can't handle on purpose. So that we have to look to Him so that He handles it so that He gets all the glory. God lets us walk through the valley of the shadow of death on an ongoing basis. God lets us walk through life experiences that are too much to bear. Why? So that we won't lean on our own understanding, but that so we will entirely depend on Him. So that when we get through it, when we are on the other side, we can't do anything. We can't help but do anything, but look at Him and thank Him and give Him glory. That's what that's for. That's not what this verse is talking about. Don't misquote this verse just to get yourself through a circumstance. Instead, look at your circumstance, recognize that it's overwhelming you, and give God glory. 
This is talking about temptation. This is talking about sin. No temptation has come upon you. No temptation has seized you except that which is common. It's all over this earth. We're all going through it. We're all tempted. But God is faithful. And when temptation comes upon you, here's the faithfulness of God. Every time, every time, every time temptation comes upon you, He is going to be faithful and He will provide a way out of it. You're never going to get caught in a temptation and go, I guess I have to do it. There are no other options. God's going to look at you and go, no, I'm faithful. There is a way out of it. Part of it, part of the way out of temptation are the people sitting around you. People who we should be lifting up, we should be holding up, we should be holding each other accountable. When people go through the membership class with us, one of the things that we say that we, we expect, one of the things that I tell people is the reason we ask people uh, to consider becoming a member and not just an attender, is because when you come into the body of Christ, you have fellowship with the body of Christ, you have relationship with the body of Christ, but you also have accountability. We are accountable to one another. We are to urge each other, spur each other on towards good deeds, but we are also supposed to spur each other to help each other one become more like Christ. And that's not just a pastor and staff to the church. That is believers, period. It's when I'm no longer up here, but it's just me and you, Gary. And you've seen something in my life that doesn't seem quite right. And you coming to me privately and saying, hey, I don't see this is quite right. And, you, and I have become more Christ-like because I've seen that. It's when I come to, to you, Rob, and I say, hey, this is not something I'm seeing. You know, what's going on? And I say, can I come alongside you and help you in that situation? It's when we come alongside one another. We hold each other accountable. Why? Because we like to point things out. No, that's not what we do. We're looking at each other. We're going, you need to become more like Christ. I need to become more like Christ. Can can we help one another? That's accountability. That's submitting to one another. Ultimately, that's submitting to God. That's what this verse is talking about. No temptation has seized you except what is common, but God is faithful. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out under it. That's who he is. And that's what he does. Let's keep moving. I said I was going to move fast. Wow, I'm taking way too long. When we submit to God, we live our lives underneath his authority so that when temptation comes, and temptation will come. He is faithful and he will provide a way out. Here's the deal. We submit to his authority. But understand this. His authority is always accompanied by provision. He calls us to holiness and he equips us to live so. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Number one, humility. Number two, submission. Number three, confess, repent, and be forgiven. It says, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. Cleanse your hands. The things that you do, the activities that we see, purify your hearts, the intents, the thoughts, the things we see, the things we are. Humility. How do we draw near to God? How does God draw near to us when we are humble, when we submit to Him, when we confess, we repent, and we're forgiven? Sin, where sin separates us from a holy God, a holy God will separate us from sin. Oh, come on, that was good. <laughs> where sin separates us from a holy God, a holy God will separate us from sin. Here's the deal, folks. Mike Warnke said this years ago. He said the Bible, we often look at the Bible as a book of don'ts. But the reality is the Bible is a book of do's. And if we would spend time doing the do's, we'd never have time to do the don'ts. Yeah. He's faithful. He'll provide a way out of it. His grace allows us to draw near Him when we submit ourselves to Him, when in humility we humble ourselves before Him, when we are in right relationship. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Now let's look at this in action. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Verses 1 through 8. It says, now he told them, and we're going to fly through all five of these. They are sermons that would stand alone on their own, but we're just going to fly through them and we're going to hold this point. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And hopefully it will come together and hopefully it will make sense to you. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. 
There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people, and a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Self, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of, Man's, Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let me paint the picture for you. A courtroom in Jesus' time would not have been a permanent building. It would have been a tent that went village to village, uh, place to place. It would have been portable so that the judge could go into different areas, different districts, different regions. And the judge would have had some assistance. And the only way that you would have qualified or been approved for your case to be heard was really if you could bribe the assistants to let your case get to the judge. So this is a widow. So we know three things about her based on that culture. Number one, she's a widow, makes her a woman, which means in that culture, she has no legal standing to present her case. She's a widow, which means she has no husband, which means she has no person to stand with her and represent her, which means she has no legal case. She is a widow. She has no husband, which automatically means that she is poor. She has no money. She's not going to be able to pay a bribe to an assistant in order to get heard before the judge. So what does she do? She just keeps coming and she keeps coming and she keeps coming. And she probably started off as a distance and got a little closer and got a little closer and got a little closer until finally this judge who is, who is by the story is unjust, who doesn't love God, who doesn't honor God, who doesn't respect the people. The judge is finally like, hey, stop it. <laughs> like a toddler. Mom, 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 mom. Do not make this a comparison. Don't make the unjust judge God and don't make the widow us. This is not a parallel. This is a lesson. And what happens is the, the, the unjust, the unrighteous judge who fears no one, including God, he is, uh, he is uh, eventually moved by her persistent pleading. And if, if that unjust, unrighteous God who has no respect for anybody is willing to hear this case, how much more would a righteous God hear the cries and the pleas of His children? This woman, this widow who does not represent us, we don't have any kind of frame of reference that, that tells us, but she understands who she is. She understands her place in society. She understands, uh, but she also, she is determined. She has a need and she's going to present it. If this unjust judge and this widow that we know nothing else about, if they are, if, if there's, if they can come to some sort of conclusion in this story, how much more is a righteous God going to hear the prayers and the pleas and the desires of His children. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Let's keep moving. Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Wow! How would you like to be described as that audience? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome people who think highly of themselves and trust themselves to do everything right. They're not snots at all. <laughs> he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I'm not greedy, I'm not unrighteous, I'm not adulterous, I'm not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Let me just encourage you to read Scripture out loud, even when you're by yourself. Just bring it to life a little bit more, because you know these people had voices. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And then Jesus said, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself 
will be exalted. Did we just read that in James? I've already pointed out the audience, but look at the characters. There's, there's the, the Pharisee and there's a tax collector. Look at verse 14 again. Jesus says, I tell you, this is Jesus talking, this one, the one that the Pharisee just pointed out, but Jesus is pointing him out too. This, this one, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. What does that mean? It's a big churchy, big Bible word, justified. It means this. It means when you are justified, you are in right standing with God. You are in right standing with God. You, are, you have confessed your sin. You have repented of it. And you are in right standing with God. How do, we, how, do, how, do we, how do we get into right standing with God? By having a healthy perspective of ourselves in light of a holy perspective of God. Humility. But even the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven. But he kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me. This one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Josh, it's, if we, it's, as, if we, it's as if we can't get away from this theme of humility. It, it, is the, it is a consistent theme that is running through the Gospels and it is becoming more and more prevalent the closer we get to Jerusalem, the closer we get to the cross. The, this theme of humility that Christ wants to instill in His disciples, this theme of humility that He wants to instill in His followers. Why? Because He's making sure they understand what it is because He's about to demonstrate it to the utmost degree. A little, little box in my... Bible says this, I need to approach God with humility and beg Him for mercy because I am a sinner. My prayers should not amount to bragging to God about the great things that I have done and how great I am. If I do, God will reject my prayers. But if I humble myself, He will listen, exalt me, and use me for His glory, not mine. This is free because it's not in my notes. The day I stand up here and I tell you all the wonderful things that I have done or the glorious things that I have done for us, somebody run up here and tackle me. Full force. wasn't expecting volunteers. <laughs> and my friend, you were probably just first in line. <laughs> I totally forgot where I was. <laughs> oh, I want to make sure that we say this as often as we can. But when we celebrate when we, when, we, when, we, when we celebrate any success, when we celebrate any achievement, as we continue to grow, as we continue to baptize people, we'll baptize a couple this Friday. As we continue to see things happen in the life of our church, let me, let me be very clear. No one takes the credit. The credit all goes to God. Because what you are looking at, I have degrees on my wall. I have some. <laughs> I've gotten to be a part of some very neat experiences. Karen and I have gotten to be a part of a church that was just a miracle. We are in a miracle. But what you are looking at, if Paul hadn't already claimed the title, I would tell you that you are looking at the chief among sinners. You are looking at the front of the line of failures. You are looking at nothing more than an empty vessel. 
every ounce of glory and every ounce of honor and every ounce of worthy and worship goes to God. You and I are going to have a talk later. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. People were bringing infants to him so he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Jesus, however, invited them. Let the little children come to me and don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Much like we have parent-child dedication, uh, people were bringing their babies. It could have been toddlers. It could have been infants. But people were bringing their children and the tradition would have been to allow the rabbi or the elder to lay hands on the child, usually the forehead. And what they would do is they would pronounce a blessing. And the phrase that they were the phrase they were bringing were bringing indicates that there was probably a long line and for whatever the reason the disciples didn't feel like Jesus needed to be bothered with that and Jesus isn't having it let the little children come to me and don't stop them it's not only just hey let me take this line like a Santa Claus getting the pictures with them it's not like that as Jesus sees this line but he also says let them come but don't ever stop them from coming Why? Because Jesus has this special place in his heart and in his life for children. And he wants, it's not, there's not even a botheredness to him. He desires, he goes even further. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Such as these draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What is it about little children that draws God in? Swindle's commentary reminded me that throughout history, primarily in pagan societies, children represented helplessness. Children represented weakness. Children represented worthlessness because they are only consumers. They are not contributors. Mom, 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 mom. You got it. God's people would have had a different perspective. God's people do have a different perspective. Children are our legacy. Psalm 127, they are arrows in our quiver. When we are blessed with children, whether it be physically, whether it be adoptive, or whether it be spiritually, I understand that not everybody in this room has actually given birth. Not everybody has biological children of their own, but I'm telling you right now, everybody in this room who calls themselves a Christ follower, you are a disciple maker. You should have sons and daughters in Christ. People that you are investing in their life and they are your spiritual children. I have a mother. I have a father. They are two of the godliest people on this planet. I love them beyond what I could begin to describe you. But I also have fathers in the ministry, mothers in in Christianity, people, women and men, godly people who have influenced my life that I see as parents in, in, in my spiritual walk. So here's the deal. Whether you have biological, whether you have adopted or that you have spiritual children, that is what he is saying. He is saying right here, right now, he is saying, these are the arrows in your quiver. Shoot them into the world. Prepare them. Equip them. Enable them with the power of the gospel and then shoot them to make a difference in this world. And Jesus said, don't stop them from coming to me. I'm going to be a part of their equipping process. I'm going to be a part of their life change. I'm going to be a part of what enables them to go into this world and make an incredible difference. Let them come to me and don't ever stop them. That is why we will do everything we can in all the times, as long as we are here, to pour into our children, to pour into our families. Why? Because when we make a difference in them, we make a difference out there. And we will not stop. Why? Because Jesus said, don't ever stop. Jesus welcomed them with enthusiasm. He loved their innocence. He loved their helplessness. He loved their ability to believe. He loved their faith. Draw near to God. Childlike faith. Childlike excitement. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Let's keep moving. Because i got to go really fast. You doing okay? Okay. We're not going to beat anybody to lunch, but as long as you're okay. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. He says, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the guy, the rich young ruler says, I've kept all of these from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. So sell all you have and distribute it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. 
And after Jesus said that, the rich young ruler became extremely sad because he was very rich. Again, each of these are a sermon in and of themselves. This rich young ruler is probably an up-and-coming elder. And he says, what must I do? This is an unhealthy perspective of oneself. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What, what do I need to do? I've probably got the skills. I've probably got the game. I've probably got the abilities. Let's go. Just tell me what I got to do to inherit eternal life. And then Jesus lists five of the commandments. Jesus lists five of the commandments. He lists number seven, number six, number eight, number nine, and number five. If you go back to Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, you see the list. He lists number seven, number six, number eight, number nine, and number five. They're all commandments that focus on human relationships. But he leaves out five. He leaves out the one about coveting, and he leaves out the four that have everything to do with our relationship with God. Because he knows that that's not right in this rich young ruler's life. In the end of chapter 14, Jesus describes the cost of following him. He does it again in chapter 16. What happens is a true disciple of Jesus makes the kingdom of God the priority of life. A true disciple of Jesus makes the kingdom of God the priority of his life. And this rich young ruler could not do that. Jesus, what Jesus is not doing is giving this man a task to earn salvation. He's not giving this guy a task to earn eternal life. What he is doing is he is exposing this man's lack of trust, this man's inability to relinquish control, his unwillingness to submit in every area of his life. We'll preach that another day. Last one, Luke 18, verse 35. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front told him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he came closer, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord. I just want to see. Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has saved you. Instantly he could see and he began to follow him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. We're on the opposite end of the spectrum from where we were just with the, with the, with the rich young ruler. He went from a rich young ruler to a blind man begging. It's a great location. He's right at Jericho. Jericho was the last stop right before about a 3,000-foot climb. Uh, would have taken about 17 miles to get to Jerusalem. Every traveler from Galilee would have, would have taken this route. It's a great location. But when he calls him, he says, Jesus, Son of David. He's shouting the Messianic title. He's immediately recognizing who this is. It's not, the contrast is, what must I do to inherit eternal life to Son of David, Messiah, my only hope, my only source of salvation. We've gone from one extreme to the other. Have mercy. He's asking for compassion. It's probably being interpreted by those around Jesus as a plea for money, which is why they're telling him to be quiet. But if you'll notice in verse 38, it says called out. The Greek is baeo, which means to shout or cry. It means he was loud. In verse 39, it's crying out all the more. The Greek word is kratso, which means now he went from crying out and calling out to screaming, to shrieking. It was guttural. You could barely understand it. Why? Because there was a desperation because he knew his place in life and he knew who was passing by. He had a healthy perspective of himself, but he had a holy perspective of the Son of God that was passing by. And he knew what he wanted. And everybody else assumed that it was money. And here's what one commentator wrote. He said, the man's desperate need overwhelmed any sense of pride. It overwhelmed any measure of restraint. With his only hope passing by, he went ahead and made a spectacle of himself. When you understand your sin and its consequences, when we understand how lost we are without Him, we don't care how it looks. When we have a taste, when we can grab Him, we can see Him, when we can be a part of Him, when we can be in His presence, we'll do whatever it takes. And He said, what do you want? He didn't say it like that. He said, what do you want? And the rich young ruler wanted eternal life. The blind man wants to see. 
And because they dared to draw near to God and allowed God to draw near to him, one of them got more than what he asked for. Verse 42, he says, receive your sight. And it's really a double meaning in the Greek. It means you're either going to receive your sight for the first time or, or you've lost your sight and you're going to get it again. But Jesus is giving him something that he's never had before. Because he says your faith has saved you and it says your faith has made you well. And that also has a double meaning. The blind beggar drew near to God and God drew near to him. And in each of these stories, you see a model of humility. You see a model of submission. You see confession, repentance, and forgiveness. And you see it lived out the opposite as well. And in each of them, you see a measure of faith. I don't have a story about my car to share this week. I don't have a closing illustration. I don't have a funny joke or a pithy story to tell you. All I know is I care about this community. And I want to love and I want to serve and I want to reach Brevard County and beyond. And the only way I know to do that is for us to draw near to God and let God draw near to us. So as we enter this holiest of weeks and we focus on His incredible display of humility and His incredible act of love. May we draw near to God and may God draw near to us. Father, take us and use us this week in ways that we could not even imagined. Help us to be ready for encounters that we aren't even planning on having. And may it be the testimony of our mouths as well as the testimony of our lives that we walk near to you and that you walk near with us. Be glorified, be honored, be lifted up, and draw all people to yourself. Because we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen.